Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 44, I Don't Wish, I Act. This week we're discussing series 4, episode 1 of Doctor Who, Partners in Crime, and season 3, episode 9 of Buffy, The Wish. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, Doctor Who, Partners in Crime, new season, mm-hmm. officially. New season. Officially new season. Um, yes. So, I think let's start talking just sort of about kind of the new tone, the overall tone mm-hmm. of this uh, episode and 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 I know you had some thoughts specifically on that, so I'm I'm going to sort of bow out of my normal introductory <laughs> um, things here. Well, other than just to say that, I mean, clearly it's a very comedic sort of you, yeah. you know uh, episode. I mean, you get that pretty much right away when you see within the first you know thirty seconds or minute or whatever the Doctor and Donna kind of doing very similar things and going very similar places and just having very close, uh, brushes and, and not, um, you know, meeting each other and and all of that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Funny Um, stuff, but well, I, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to give a little context and maybe a little sort of, you know, theatrical history lesson because I thought it would be instructive. Um, so, in terms of, like, behind-the-scenes production sorts of things, um, uh, Russell Davies had decided to bring Donna mm-hmm. back as a, you know, to be the companion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, you, you cast Catherine Tate for a lot of reasons, you know, and she has many qualities to bring to the table. But she's really, or at least up to this point, was primarily known as a, comic actress Mm -hmm. that she was known as you know she had a sketch comedy show she wrote her own skits you know i think we linked to the comic relief Mm -hmm. skit that she did with david tennant you know spoofing doctor who and everything so she know she was known as kind of like kind of a british equivalent of someone who would have been in saturday night live or something like that um and so you know a, a certain amount of people balked i think at her being cast Hmm. you know is she gonna turn this into a parody of doctor who you know are they gonna take this seriously you know they didn't necessarily believe in her ability to deliver you know dramatically um so i think this says a lot about the way russell davies mind works because he kind of knew people would be thinking this he knew people would expect him to start well so in his mind he kind of thought, well, if I cast, you know, a comedic actor, everyone is going to expect me to start with the most dramatic episode ever to prove that she can do, you know, drama with the best of them. And so, but there was something in him, the contrarian in him thought, screw that. If they think I'm going to go left, then I'm going to go right. So the whole idea of setting up the first episode as the most comedic episode they'd ever done was kind of built to kind of say screw you to anybody who thinks that Catherine Tate can't do it and kind of almost say it doesn't really matter what you expect her to do. She's going to be good at whatever mm-hmm. we set mm-hmm. her out to do. Um, and not every episode, you know, with her is going to be 
out-and-out -out comedy. It was more just the perverse element in Russell Davies wanting to kind of ignore his audience, yeah. you know, and kind of do what he felt like he wanted to do. So, uh, so that's kind of his reasoning behind why he wanted to write something which was so heavy on comedy. Um, but I think it's kind of interesting because I've, um, when doing like the, the, you know, watching the episode and watching behind the season, the scenes and stuff, they talked, a, they used the term farce a lot, that they, they called this a farce. And I always kind of took that as kind of a synonym for, for comedic, you know, that, oh, it's a funny episode. But actually, the more I've kind of looked at it, I think they mean that pretty literally, um, that farce as like a particular brand of, you know, theatrical comedy. Um, so, and, and it's something that we have in the States, but I feel like it's very typically British. Um, so, like, if you think of, you, you kind of... You kind of define farce as, you know, broad comedy, but very physical, very exaggerated, and very kind of based on, you know, ridiculous coincidences. Um, so, you know, going back into, it has sort of classical roots, but, you know, in Shakespeare, if you think of the comedies, all the stuff with the cross-dressing and mistaken identities is sort of the roots of farce. And then... If you kind of draw a line from Shakespeare to Oscar Wilde, you know, you get the importance of being earnest with, you know, the 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 lady who picks up the baby who's in or leaves her child in a handbag at the station. And then he turns out to be her son who she knew 30 years later and she had no idea. And then everybody's named Ernest. It's all these like improbable sort of situations. Mm -hmm. um, and then more modern, you know, you can look straight at Faulty Towers, which if anybody hasn't seen that, go watch it because it's amazing. Um, and it, so that was a British sitcom with John Cleese. And it's all about the physical timing. So uh, it, it's very uh, close. There's another play called Noises Off, um, which if you ever get a chance to see, go see it. Um, and the term they use in that play is doors and sardines. It's all set on this kind of one set theater and they're practicing a farce so you kind of get to see the behind the scenes of the actors as they're rehearsing the farce which they're about to perform so it's kind of a play within the play type thing and they use the term doors and sardines because the whole play is about the comic timing of doors opening and shutting and people bumping into each other or going through at just the right instant passing props to the wrong person at the wrong time and it's so kind of meticulously blocked and yeah. planned so it's not just comedy in like a character or, you know, it's not even really about dialogue. It's more about physically ridiculous and improbable things, which kind of happen miraculously, you know, and they just sort of, it, it's a very choreographed mm. brand of comedy. So I think when they say that, that they, you know, that this episode is a farce, I think they mean it kind of literally. Yeah. Or um, at least like the first and, half. Of the episode, like it's yeah, very, definitely. You very much get that yeah. feel of the yeah the the you know they just miss meeting each other how many times or you know yeah David yeah. Tennant's popping his head up over the cubicle wall only to go down again and have Catherine Tate pop her head up you know like you know exactly one one second yeah. after the other so yeah and I think and I think both of them have 
a strong theatrical background and they're really good at this like they've done farce on stage before like this is no they're no stranger to it you know the kind of fluid timing of one pops up the other pops down kind of like whack-a-mole you know and and um and so you know you get a lot of I think a lot of the kind of comic set pieces in the episode are sort of based on this so like you said they have these parallel investigations for really like the first half of the episode is them almost but not meeting and and the whole joke is that you know and you know Davies talked about this too that um as soon as you know you're going to bring a companion back it can't be like Smith and Jones where the episode is built around the doc you know the doctor and Martha learning about each other and getting to know each other here they kind of know each other a little bit already so it's it it stops the episode from being them getting to know each other to being the delayed gratification of them mm. meeting. So, you know, pushing it off to the last minute, you know, so the whole first half of the episode is, you know, you're kind of wringing the tension until they finally do meet. So, you know, they're just kind of passing each other. They're one street apart when they're, you know, investigating outside. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, you really, the, the mime scene, which is one of my favorite things ever, you know, of them uh, doing this sort of silent conversation across, you know, through the glass. And I just love how uh, it starts out pretty understandable and then just gets less, like Donna's whatever she, story she's telling gets less and less intelligible mm -hmm. the further it goes right. on right um until the lady just catches her and and, and, <laughs> and it's like i love that moment of are we interrupting you like you do forget that anything else is going on in the background it's kind of a jolt to say oh actually they aren't they shouldn't just be completely wrapped up in each other actually the bad guys are like right sure. there and they completely forgot sure. about it um and then you know the 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 whole thing with them hanging off the building, you know, again, with improbable action is the, the them breaking the cord and Donna falling out and grabbing on by, you know, like, you know, hanging on by the tips of her fingers. He has to pull her through the window, all that kind of stuff. And then her uh, ludicrous amounts of already prepacked luggage at the end, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. she has ready to go. So all of these things, it's like these really... It's not just comic. It's like ridiculously comic. It's improbably yeah. comic and everything. So I, I kind of like Russell's cheek of doing that, of just saying, you know what, you know, people who don't want Catherine Tate there, screw you. We're going to do the most farcical episode, you know, imaginable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you were kind of saying, other than, you know, those sequences being sort of enjoyable, I'm not sure how much more there is to say about them because they're mostly about enjoying it, you know, yeah, and watching yeah. the actors do their thing. Well, so. and, and like you said, they're kind of doing these parallel investigations. So you get these sort of dual um, expositions of what's going on and, and not that you get, I mean, it's not that stuff is getting repeated. You just get kind of like each tidbit of new information from one or the other's perspective. And you just sort of know that they're both, finding out the same things at the same time, you know, yeah. as this is going on. So, which almost lends an, an additional layer of, of the farce, I guess, to it, because, you know, not only are they sort of, you know, 
physically close a lot, but but they're learning, you know, intellectually, mentally, they're getting they're getting kind of yeah. doled out the same um, information, you know, on on the same um, you know sort of at the same rate i guess and and so you know they're it's just very interesting that that you're like well if they're doing this you know together anyway basically like just just shy of together i guess is you know yeah, then yeah. they might as well be companions because they're already putting exactly. all the work in into being companions and you know or or doing the things that that they would both do so it it takes kind of like i i like that it takes like you said, the delayed gratification, you know, it takes them a long time, half the episode to even first see each other. But even after they first see each other and then kind of meet up, like it's still not, it still takes them a little bit of time now that they're in sync in time and place, I guess. Like it still takes yeah, them sort yeah. of a little bit of, of effort to, to get to that place where they're both okay or at least mostly the doctor <laughs> to where he's okay yeah, with yeah. having Donna along. Um, and to where yeah. she sort of, I guess is convinced too that he wants her along because she was just sort of assuming that and then kind of gets thrown at the end, but maybe we're getting too much into like the character stuff. Um, mm. But I, I do like, it, it does sort of give that, you know, a couple different layers there of, of, you know, they're, they're either in sync or, or almost in sync already. And so it's, it's like, right. You know, it's just a little bit more. And then of course, um, the conversation that Donna has with her, her grandfather there, um, Wilf, I guess, uh, is, mm -hmm. is, you know, made that much more. It's like, Oh, I just need to, you know, find the right guy. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. like he was right there the whole time, you know, he's just, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, if you could just be, you know, 10 feet to the right, you know, you would see him yeah. or whatever, or to the left or whichever way. Um, it's not a political statement, but, um, <laughs> anyway, the, the, yeah, no. So I, I like it. I think it's enjoyable. I think it's well done. Um, all that part of it, but, but it does also give you the opportunity then while they're doing that, um, not necessarily to learn much about themselves, because like you said, I mean, we both, sort of already know them too. So it's not about introducing even one or the other of them to us, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's not a new right. doctor and it's not a new companion. So there's no need really to introduce them, you know, either of them to the audience, but, um, you know, right, they use, use it kind of get to know you. They, they use it, um, one for the comedic effect there, but also then, then to sort of give the idea of the situation of the adipose and, um, this, mm -hmm woman and i can't that, the foster mother whatever her name is i can't remember i didn't actually write it uh, down but um i didn't write the whole thing it was like matron cophelia yeah. but she had like uh, you know of the bloody bloody blah, blah, blah mm -hmm. that i didn't even write down right so <laughs> but let's call her let's call her miss so maybe we can <laughs> i mean and obviously that that's sort of the excuse shall we call it to get them back together um and, sure, and we yeah. find out that it's like not the first time that Donna has sort of been involved. Like, we don't really know why Donna's there until kind of almost at the end when she explains, mm -hmm. oh, I've just been going around to like all these weird things that are happening, hoping right. to run into you <laughs> yeah. because you seem to pop up when weird stuff happens. So like, like at first, cause you know, well, 
and and I guess we'll get to Penny too at some point. But um, mm-hmm. you know, like we we understand that Penny is, right away is an investigative journalist, right? She's trying to yeah. you know find out this information to publish and thinks that there's something wrong here. But we don't really understand why Donna's doing what she's doing. You right, know, until right. much later, like we just know that she's there and investigating and stuff. And she says she's from health and safety, but we don't really believe that's the case. Or I guess right. it turns out that she was at some point with health and safety, but isn't anymore or something. Is that, did I remember that? Yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like, I get the impression that whether or not she was with health and safety, either quit or got fired and then kept her ID right, card right. so that she could use it to investigate all these different... Right, you know, but it's that's not... Her, that's her version of the psychic paper that gets her right. through the but this particular to go in and investigate Investigation things. isn't condoned, so to speak, by, by so. health and no, safety. I think, it's, it's... No, I think, I think by the time we see her, she's given up looking for an actual stable job and is now actively looking for the doctor and that she's seeking out these sorts of, you know, potentially scandalous, you know, or, you know, covered up, you know, paranormal activity because she thinks she'll bump into the doctor and And she's right. Yeah. And she does. Um, So I guess maybe let's talk about the whole adipose situation and get that out of the way. (laughs) And then we can talk about the, 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 for the rest the of it, we could talk yeah. about the actual characters and 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 what they do. Um, so okay, um, kind of kind of interesting. Like I'm I'm not sure whether the little adipose creature baby things are cute <laughs> or creepy. They're kind of like <laughs> this weird mix between the two. You know what I mean? Like a little bit of yeah, both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I I was one of those ones that. I wasn't sure of about at first, but, and I, you know, okay, does this get put in the, in the, the camp with Slovene and, and Absorbaloff <laughs> and Goofy, yes. but I don't think so. I mean, I think it does, but I think it, it, it walks the fine line better than those monsters did of the goofiness and the mm-hmm. creepiness. And instead of just being gross, which they are, they are also a little bit creepy and the humor works a little bit better. So I think there's something more effective about, I don't know if it's because there's so many of them. Right. And so by the time, by the time you have, or or by the the time you have thousands of Whatever those things are before they turn into gremlins. What are those called again? The, Oh, those, yeah, those little little, like fuzzy Furby things. Yeah. 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 Um, Um, no, but like, I mean, I always think like, it's the moments when they're kind of coming out of people's stomachs mm. into the sink that I'm kind of close to rolling my eyes. But by the end, when they're all, you know, thousands of them being beamed up into the spaceships and waving goodbye, I just love it. Like, I don't know. I, there's something about, like, the kind of overwhelmingness yeah, of yeah. them, which I think kind of makes them work. Yeah. Well, um, and-, and they are just cute enough and just weird enough that you never feel like, they're too saccharine. Yeah. So. Well, and you get the, um, you know, even the doctor's explanation at that point when they're all going up of, you know, yeah. they didn't do anything wrong, even though yeah, people who I guess have died or don't exist mm. anymore. I, like, I'm not even sure what the right term is because I, I guess right. people have died. Like their consciousness is no longer, you know, something right. that exists. So, right. 
but then again you have all these little creatures that sort of were made from that and so like and it's not their fault even and and even though like you know they're going to these parents who are apparently you know violating some sort of intergalactic Mm -hmm. code and and you know that we can talk about that kind of stuff too but like it yeah like you can't really blame them like you know this is one of those monsters of the week that aren't really monsters you know like exactly because they the the thing that you might be inclined to call a monster isn't doesn't didn't have any control over its own creation and and doesn't is pretty innocent in and of itself like um the the primary monster i guess being the foster mother the matron or whatever we call her and and yeah um you know as the primary impetus to you know creating these creatures and then but then also you realize like she's just kind of a hired thug so like Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's a weird. Yeah, no, it is one of those kind of morally gray groups. You know, do you are the monsters the 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 children? Not really. You know, is it is it Miss Foster? Well, I guess a little bit more so, but even then, not entirely. Mm-hmm. And then you know, or is it the the parents who we never even see mm-hmm. who you know have authorized yeah. this? Well, and you have to you wonder. Know, so this, like. Uh, criminal activity so did you get the you know she says they have like a million customers right in the greater london area and uh-huh. i well and some of those like completely turn into these little creatures or or they all right. do i'm not even clear i guess at the end i think the idea is that the doctor stops it before they do the full right. conversion so i think maybe a couple people got totally converted but most of them just had a couple pounds of fat walk off right, and right, then they're right. okay. So, well, yeah. So like, <laughs> but potentially, but potentially all of them could have died if they hadn't, well, like know, between um, the system. Uh, Roger and, and Stacy, like Roger said, he mm-hmm. loses 14 kilos in two weeks. So, you know, right, if right. each of those creatures is one kilo, you know, like yeah. that's you know, something like there's 14 million of these little suckers, you know, if, <laughs> Yeah. You know, if you've had a million, if all a million plan, have been yeah, taking it yeah. for two weeks. Now, I mean, obviously, maybe that's not the case, but some might have been yeah. taking it longer and lost more weight. Some, you know, Stacy right. said she lost 11 pounds, which is different from kilos. So, you know, like there's yeah. there. I don't know. You just have to sort of wonder, <laughs> like, how many of these things are there? But but yeah. And again, yeah. even the doctor is like, actually, it was kind of effective. It's kind of an effective way. Yeah. I, <laughs> It kind of, and you know, except for the times, except for the times where it accidentally converts the whole person and kills right. them, actually, it does kind of work. Which you get the sense that that was the plan, like in the long run. The long term plan would have been mm. that the people who were taking this would eventually just sort of waste away to nothing. Um, right. At least that's the way I sort of read it. I guess maybe I'm reading a little bit more into that, but I mean, I guess. I guess assuming if they kept taking them, why not? Well, yeah. and and apparently the the matron was able to override and you know do full parthenogenesis, uh, you know, <laughs> in one fell swoop. So, like yeah. that 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 was sort of the way I was reading it was that the um, you know the idea would be to get as many people as possible hooked onto this and then just kind of take them all at once and 
harvest all of the yeah. creatures. I'm not, I'm not even sure what to call them. Adipo, the mini <laughs> adipose, I guess. Adipose children or something? I don't yeah, know. Adipose kids. I guess just the adipose. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, it's a interesting little little thing just all together. Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah, not quite sure what to make of it. And, and, and I guess that's fine because in the end, like, it really is about getting the Doctor and Nana back together. So, like... I'm not sure that the monster itself necessarily matters all that much. And the, the yeah. matron gets her bit of, you know, come up and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, or come down and I guess, as it were <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess the only other, so, so the other things that I would sort of say one, so she has a sonic pen, um, which is, sort of interesting yeah. i guess um we're seeing sort of sonic technology proliferating a bit here uh yeah we are we had a laser well we had a laser screwdriver now yeah we've got a sonic well and pen, but so, you know yeah. even going back to jack you know he had his sonic yes uh, yeah right whatever right his his gun yeah, or yeah. whatever yeah um and and now we know what happens when you have two sonic devices and put them together. Um, no, but I guess so. Now we do know. Um, yeah. One one question that sort of comes up on that whole Sonic thing is is were there like in Classic Who was it mm. just like Sonic screwdrivers like everyone had a Sonic screwdriver kind of thing or is it were there like these other other tools Sonic devices that were Sonic? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. But I can. Uh... Go do a little. Yeah, research. I'm just curious because, like, we seem to be there. Seems to be like a line of Sonic products that you know. Sure. We're, yeah. We're, <laughs> you know, now we have more than just one or two random things, um, or laser, right? Right. Right. Like you other all, all. Yeah. Right. So yeah, just right. Other curious. kind of other technologies. Um, um, and then we get. Yeah, I don't know. We get uh, a little bit of inter intergalactic law. Right, we get the the seeding mm-hmm. of a level five planet is against galactic law, um, and and the matron thinks that he's threat. See, I I keep saying matron, but then whenever I say matron, I think of of Joan. Right. So yeah, I'm, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm I. That's why I kept calling her foster mother because I don't I don't like yeah the no no there. Um, just just call her Miss Foster. Miss Foster. Uh. You know, she thinks so that, she... that he's threatening her when he, like, even mentions that, <laughs> which is kind of a weird reaction. Right. It's like, seeding a level five planet is against galactic law. Like, merely mentioning what the law is, is somehow a threat to her. Yeah. Uh, well, because she knows she's, well, she knows and, she's breaking and it. And not only does she know she's breaking it, but she thinks that she's breaking it in a place where there's ignorance of what the law actually is. So, yeah. I guess in a way, it's not even that he's mentioning it. It's that he's even there. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Just having that knowledge and being in the same place as her. Right. She thought she thought this is a backwards planet in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I can go here and quietly do whatever I yeah. want. No one's going to yeah. notice. Yeah. And of course, that brings up other questions. So level five planet. How many mm-hmm. levels are there and what makes us a level five? Um, right. And then, uh, and the, the reference to the shadow. Well, that was where I was getting to next. Yeah. Was, um, uh, 
what like there's an implication he says uh we had planned to seed millions but if that man's an alien then he's alerted the shadow proclamation which is an interesting way to put it because it makes it into a thing with intelligence mm-hmm. and knowledge um so as opposed to i mean a proclamation is typically a document or a statement right, like it, right, like right. this is this is an actual being or a, a council or something, some kind of entity of a sort that was not how I was sort of thinking of the shadow proclamation. Right. Cause that's not what other... it sounds like. Cause doesn't, doesn't the doctor before talk about like articles in the shadow, the yeah, shadow yeah, yeah. proclamation or something. It, it, yeah. He talks way about back it as in a the document. first episode in Rose, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, talking to the nesting consciousness. So, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so like it, it definitely gives a new light on this. So not that we, not that it's actually illuminated anymore. We just have a new light. No, and and I think this is the first we've heard about it since the first episode. Yeah, so I think it's I not like say, we've learned a whole lot. I want to say there might have been one other mention somewhere along the way. But, yeah, there must have been one but, or two. But, but I couldn't. We haven't learned a whole. I lot. I couldn't yeah. even tell you where those were. Like, oh, maybe in the end of the end of the world like isn't there something like according to shadow proclamation blah 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 mm. you know yeah yeah i think you might be right. no teleporting into the that's uh, right <laughs> you know the station or something like that so yeah but like again that that seems more like it's just documents it's just, it, it's the law it's the legislation yeah. it's what's written yeah. down not that there's a thing attached or called right. the Shadow Proclamation. So very, very interesting um, tidbit there that we get yes. absolutely nothing more about in this episode anyway. Um, nope, we perhaps do not. not for a while. Um, and you're, you're not... We will find out. We will find out more, but I won't say when. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm not... Well, I was digging a little maybe. But um, <laughs> anyway. So... So yeah, you know, okay. Adipose, it's fat. Adipose just is fat, and we know that. And it is very and they're, clever. They're these little things. I mean, maybe we'll see them again at some point. Like I can't imagine all these little fat creatures like walking around. Like, <laughs> where do they go? What do they do? Go infest the rest of the universe. Yeah, apparently. Um. Uh. Okay. So well, let's let's move on to. I want to make. Sh- I want to give time to our characters. Mm-hmm. So let's let's move on to Donna. Okay. What about Donna? Well, she's living what at home, Donna? I guess. Uh huh. Um, and apparently, since we last saw her, so like not just recently moved back. Yeah, yeah. For a while, I don't know if we find out exactly how. I long. mean, that seems to be um, the implication that I took away from it was that. Well, I mean, she did kind of lose her job, didn't she, last time? Well, like, she and, lost, and her, Didn't like, she say, I lost and, my job and yeah. my... Yeah, like, I lost my job and my husband on the same day yeah. or something. Or, like, I got, you know, you know, her her wedding and her husband were destroyed right. in the same day and, and, it's, and her job. So she kind of lost everything. And it's only been a year. So, I mean, it's not like, yeah. well... It, a year plus, give or take. Right. Right, because we've seen the two Christmases, right, from from one Christmas to the next and a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and this, is, this isn't this is straight after Christmas either. This is, you know, probably transmitting in the spring, so it's even a okay. couple months since 
Voyage of the Damned, if we're going based on the transmission date is more or less the present. Right, right. Um, it's been a little over a year, I think, around there. Um, and seems to not particularly enjoy living there. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, I, that's a great... That's a great scene, isn't it? Where she's just sitting there and her mom's in the yeah. background buzzing around and her just sort of put upon quiet, sipping her tea, just taking it, just take it. Don't say anything, biting her tongue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. Sort of... <laughs> it's a little close to home um, for everybody concerned. No, right. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> but apparently she has a good relationship with her grandfather, with Wilf. She does. Um, so that seems to at least make up somewhat. Yeah. Um, and, and vice versa. Like, he seems to be supportive of her finding her true calling, whatever that may be. Yeah. Well, I wanted to bring up a couple of things about Wilf and Donna kind of together. Because I think, um, and I don't know how, the Voyage of the Damned stuff, I would more say, is more setting up for this rather than this echoing it. But, you know, you get another... I think there's a little bit of an echo of some of the stuff we talked about last time with with the idea of potential and unfulfilled mm. potential, you know, and, and Donna being not quite satisfied with where she is at that point in her life. Um, and, and Wilf, too. I mean, he seems like a happy enough guy, but you can kind of see him as that kind of dreamer mm -hmm. who maybe didn't quite get to do all the things quite literally he a stargazer he was yeah stargazer exactly yeah. so i think some of the stuff that was in voyage of the damned was sort of prefiguring this a little mm -hmm. bit um so you do get the sense that donna took after her grandfather rather than you know it skipped a generation mm -hmm. over her mother um and the kind of romantic idealist who is a little bit unsatisfied with you know yeah. where she is in reality she seems to take after wilf in that respect yeah yeah um and even like even in the uh sort of description that he gives her you know he says you seem to be drifting and she's like mm -hmm. but i'm i'm not drifting it's not my you know I don't know, lackluster or <laughs> whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. Like it's not purposeless. And that's, you know, there's a difference yeah. between just sort of, you know, lounging around without purpose and waiting for a purpose, mm -hmm. like for a specific reason, not waiting for yeah. a purpose, but <laughs> having a reason to wait, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. So like, I like that there's that distinction there. It's that there, it's not that she's just, has no direction or, or doesn't know what she's doing because we find out that she in fact does have a direction and, and does actually kind of know what she's doing. Um, and is actually working pretty hard at achieving it. Right. <laughs> you know, much as it might seem like drifting to everyone else, she's consistently looking right. for what she's out there working to get. What right. She and wants. we do get that impression that, that the mother's viewpoint is the everyone else viewpoint. Like yes. that, that it's, and and we sort of got that with, you know, before in the Runaway Bride when when she was the one Runaway Bride. It was everyone was, why are you doing this? Why are you putting poor Lance through this? You know, or whatever. Yeah, Lance, right? Yeah, 
moms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and so you do get that idea that that everyone else's perspective is the same as her mother's, but um, but yeah, no, I think that's a, a an important distinction to note is is the difference between uh, you know again the drifting and the the waiting, the purposeful waiting. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not that she doesn't know what she wants. It does. It's not that she doesn't, she may not know exactly how to get it, but she does know sort of the idea of, of the direction in which to pursue, you know, um, getting there and, and kind of, um, helping, helping herself get to the opportune places and, and at the opportune times to be there for, you, you know, it's that, Oh, what's, what's that saying? You know, uh, uh, luck favors the prepared, you know, or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it, For, like fortune favors. The yeah. Something like that. Like that. Like, I know the one you mean. You know, yeah, yeah. Something along those lines. And, and so it's like, she's kind of doing that. She's, and she, and she's quite prepared as we see, yeah, you know, with all of the bags that she. Hat box and everything. Yeah. That she yeah. Pulls out of the <laughs> so. No, I, I like that exchange because it does give you the sense of, you know, other other people can totally, I mean, and I'm sure I've done it. I'm sure people have done it to me. You know, it's like, what what is going on there? What's happening? Why would someone be acting this way or pursuing this particular thing? And, and mm-hmm. you know what, when it boils down to it, it's if that's the right thing for you, then that's the right thing for you. So, yeah, I don't know. I like that whole little conversation between them. Yeah, no, I do too. I think it's a great, it's a great setup for the character because it, it, because we've seen her before, it allows them to do that kind of a story because whenever you start with a companion sort of cold Turkey, I guess, in a Mm -hmm. way, you know, whether it's Rose or Martha, when you meet them, and they go with the doctor at the end, it becomes this sort of spur of the moment whirlwind mm-hmm. thing. Whereas with Donna, because she originally said no and then regretted it, she's had a long time to think about it. You know, so you get this sense of the, the amount of thought and preparedness that yeah. she's put into it. And not that that's, you know, better than the others, but it's just a different, it doesn't make it just another, right. you know, just another companion in the same mold. It kind of brings a new dynamic to the relationship a bit that she's in a way, a little bit more invested in this because she's been sitting there twiddling her thumbs for a year, you know, waiting for her moment to strike. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it just, it just switch, it changes up the format a little bit, which yeah. is nice. Well, and, and it also, um, you get, with the sense of like the false starts that she had. Right. She's like, you know, Oh you, yeah. You know, I was with you and it was all kind of so clear and, and you know, yeah. I was going to change my life and whatever, but then fell back into the old rat. And who hasn't done that? You know, who hasn't gone away for yeah, like, I, know. I don't know, a weekend retreat or had like a really good, you know, I don't know, uh, inspirational talk or something, you know, that you've, that you, that you've gone to and you're like, yes. And for like three days, you're, you know, on this (laughs) high kick and then, you know, whatever. And she's like, yeah. And I even went to Egypt or wherever it was. Right. And, and yeah, but then when I got there, it was just all the same touristy stuff. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, it was nice, but not special or not what I was looking for. So 
So I, I like that they kind of throw that in there, that it's not like she hasn't tried other things too. And, 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 and she mentioned, you know, she, I looked everywhere, you name it, UFOs, UFO sightings, crop circles, sea monsters, you know, it's like, yeah, like, yeah. it's not like she just said, Oh, there's this weird adipose thing. I'm going to go check that out. Maybe the doctor's there. Like she's been seeking, you know, mm-hmm. the doctor for a while and has had a lot of failure at it apparently Mm -hmm. um but it's that persistence and that that idea that she knows what she wants she doesn't necessarily know exactly how to get it but she knows that she's kind of going in the right direction and so she's going to keep doing that um and that's yeah and you get and i think that last scene where she gets to wave off wilf and he Mm -hmm. tells her to it's like that is such a great culmination you know you just feel like you know, for those characters, it just seems like such a moment of triumph that she's finally, you know, she's made it work. And he's so excited for sure. her, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. I think and- I just like that that relationship, too, is kind of a new thing that we haven't really seen. Mm. Um, you mean between her and Wolf? Yeah. Yeah, there hasn't really been. That supportive. You know, because Rose had Rose, you know, had Pete sort of in a strange kind of way, certainly didn't have him while she was growing up. You know, she didn't, she kind of lacked that, you know, father figure. Um, Martha had a father, but we didn't really, he didn't seem to be a particularly, you know, close or strong one that we saw. So now it's kind of nice to have her with the kind of supportive, you know, and actually I did want to bring this up because I said last week that we were going to see Wilf again and, we saw him right away. Um, and the reason is that it was supposed to be, if you'll remember in The Runaway Bride, Donna had parents. Um, mm. And uh, the the actor who played her father was, you know, in the script, due to come back. He was going to do all the same things that Wilf did. And, um, th- and after they'd started filming, the actor actually got sick and passed away. Oh, okay. So rather than cast a new actor in the part they thought it would be better to just they sort of they allude to it later they 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 kind of write in the fact that he's died in the year since okay. um and and that she has this grandfather who's kind of a surrogate for that um and they liked they liked um wilf from the christmas mm-hmm. special so they thought let's just make him the grandfather because he's great so sure. um so that's kind of where the idea for him came about so I think he is fatherly because that role would have been her father in the first place. So um, they kind of get to substitute that relationship a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But. Uh, well, you know what else I wanted to bring up about Donna um, was the. And this can transition us into the doctor, I think, um, in our last five minutes or whatever we have. Um the scene, their kind of scene of negotiation at the end where, you know, they, they, where he's sort of hesitant and, and kind of quiet in the face of all her sort of enthusiasm. Um, and it kind of turns out that his, you know, reluctance is at least partially to do with the whole Martha experience um, and leading to the fantastic I just want a mate. You just want a mate mix up. Um, another element of farcical misunderstanding, you know, so she doesn't want to have any 
misunderstandings right. about what's going to happen when they go in the TARDIS. So you're not meeting with me, sunshine. You're not with me. No. (laughs) (laughs) And his face of just, oh my God, no, I didn't like, didn't even mean to suggest that. So we, I don't know. I think they they are in a, in in the terms that a former coworker of mine used to uh, use, they are agreeing violently. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes, they are violently agreed upon <laughs> where they stand. Um, which, you know, again, and I don't want to say this is better. You know, I, I love and I love Rose and Martha. But after a couple seasons, it, it is nice to have a different sort of dynamic. Mm. That everyone is very clear up front on where we stand. Mm. Um, so, and I like just that it, they did, they found a nice character way of doing that. That they do it with humor. You know, right. that it's it's... It feels very natural right. that, you know, and, and in keeping with the comedic tone of the episode and everything. Right. So. Well, and I just, so, and of course, contrasting that to Martha, who mm. protested at the beginning, you know, in she her did. first, yeah. uh, you know, oh, I'm not the least bit interested. But of course, you knew pretty much right away that she kind was. Kind of suspected, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like this is the sort of <laughs> the visceral, the very visceral <laughs> re- mm. reaction that Donna gives when she thinks. Yeah, no, that this is this is an appalling yeah, idea to her. Like, not yeah, meeting with me, sunshine. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's great, and and yeah, and and I think, and not that there's anything wrong with having a companion, you know, and and the doctor have some sort of romantic or at least implied romantic or at least tension you know uh yeah. or relationship in there it is kind of nice because it's not something we've we've seen yet at this point even even with like jack you know i mean like <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know there's That's there's true. still the the stuff in there um right right you think of jack's and, going you too huh <laughs> and and then of course i mean really and then I guess just sort of round it out. You have Mickey who was just pining over Rose, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, yeah. it's not even like he's a good example either. Cause yeah, he didn't want to be with the doctor, but it was animosity because of the doctor and mm-hmm. Rose's relationship. So it's just, it's nice to sort of yeah. have a quest, a, 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 a clean, fresh, you know, right up front, yes. you know, stating, putting everything out there to, to, yeah. to air dry, so to speak, uh, right at the beginning. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, I, 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 this isn't to say anything, you know, the, the, the relationship will change and evolve and get more complex and everything. Sure. So it's not like it's a static thing, but, but, you know, the doctor and Donna, I think that term or that line about, I just want to mate is very indicative of at least where they start out, you know, that this is, you know, friends, good friends. Yeah. And um, it, it's almost, I heard someone say like, especially in this episode, but in their relationship in general, they're kind of in a buddy cop movie. Like, it's mm. kind of funny how like the, the you know, the show with the Doctor and Rose feels different than it does with the Doctor and Martha. And so here again, we have a new relationship and the show feels different. And it has this kind of, mm-hmm. you know, partners in crime is very mm-hmm. kind of, mm succinct in the you know in the title kind of tells you what kind of story you're in i think yeah. Yeah. um and and 
you already get the sense too of how that might continue to play out but just simply in the fact that Donna's not just going to give in to the doctor where the others did sort of just follow him, you know, Rose yeah. and Martha both. And, and yeah. no, she will tell um, it like it is. She will tell it like it is. And she'll drag him along, um, mm-hmm. you know, which Martha never really got to that. I mean, Martha did go off kind of by herself, but it was, you know, out of necessity, obviously, you know, like, cause everyone right. else was trapped and, she needed to yeah. go save the world. And even then it was all about telling everyone about the doctor. Um, Rose yeah. did get to the point where she would sort of go off on her own, you know, way. But even then it was just kind of like, you always got the sense that she was just sort of trying to mimic the doctor, not really doing it on her own. Mm. It was just kind of like, yeah, I don't I'm, I feel like I'm not explaining that very well, but maybe that's um, like, this is, yeah, no, I think this is, Rose was maybe a little bit more impressionable. Donna is, you know, a little bit older and she's a little bit more mature, you know, and there's, you know, there's a, there's a downside to that. Cause I think that plays into some of her feelings of unfulfilled potential of being a little mm. older and being a little unsatisfied. But the older thing also means she's seems to be more aware of herself and her own yeah. opinion, you know, well, and, that she has more confidence. I'm sure that does have to do, partly with her being older, but, you know, probably just personality difference too, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but yeah, you get that, come on, we're going to the TARDIS, you know, like, like this yeah. is, you're not really in charge here anymore, doctor, or at least not completely. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and when she's piling her bags on him and, and <laughs> he's just kind of like, okay, what's going on here? So, yeah. um, yeah, and, and when he, he starts to do his, it's the TARDIS, and it's bigger on the end. She's like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. We've done, we've done this before. You don't have to do it again. Right. You know. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I, I know at least one person who has told me that Donna is um, his favorite companion. So, mm-hmm. you know, okay, cool. It's a vote of confidence. Yeah. 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 And um, I mean, I don't have anything to say yeah. against her at this point. So, uh, that's yeah. good. Well, um, in our last couple, I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything really big. Mm-hmm. Um, but in our last couple minutes, we should probably at least acknowledge the surprise presence of yeah. Rose at the end. Well, and and because the, the presence I, I know you and had, disappearance. I know you had Donna spoiled. This the presence and disappearance. Because I know you had Donna's return spoiled for you slightly. I mean, fairly recently. Just, just yeah, slightly. it was like just and before didn't I really, watched the episode, so it wasn't like a yeah, and it didn't really tell you anything about the no. story. Um, but I think I'm right in saying that we managed to get here without any. I had no Rose, idea so. that Rose appeared at all yeah. in this episode, and I mean. The appearance is very brief, obviously, and mm-hmm. not quite sure what to make of it because yeah. because it is you know she's there and you just see her from behind and Donna talks to her you know so gives her instructions about which bin she just threw her keys into, which is a kind of weird thing to do. Yeah. But um, I, I I think that's hilarious that she leaves her, yeah she leaves the keys in a trash bin. Oh, they're fine. They're going to be yeah. there. Just you know, waits for her them. mother Don't to worry. come get them. Or yeah. so that her mother can come. But yeah. You still get even though even though Donna's more 
mature, you still get some of that ditziness that we saw in The Runaway Bride. Um, And then, you know, Rose turns around and you see it's her. And then she walks away and, like, fades into the night. Like, you know, just kind of, like, dissolves. So I'm not sure what to make of that. Is she there? Is she not there? Is it her being bad wolf? Or, like, is it, like bleeding through from the other dimension that she's in all those possibilities. And I'm not necessarily asking you to tell me what they are. Those are just sort of the things that I'm questioning and, and and thinking about. So I don't, I don't know the the she's there. My one note I have for Rose is, um, (laughs) because I don't know what to make of any of that. So. Okay. That's as it may be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't have anything to add because, yeah, what else is there? I mean, the only other, the, the, the only thing which is kind of cool is the the music is the, the doomsday music, that kind of okay. bass and piano, you know, mm. that kind of iconic music from their separate, which doesn't, that's not a clue for anything. It's just, that's the iconic. No, but it's like we've music. talked about it's music and Buffy like, is, you know, it's, it's sort of yeah. that. Hinting at the the theme and yeah and the... yeah yeah Repe- repeated memes and <laughs> motifs and all those things so you know it's kind of always nice when you get a little note of music that reminds you of an episode you know from way before or something um, sure so yeah I won't say anything more because anything more to say would be to talk about future episodes yeah. so she's only in right. for yeah about there's 10 not seconds, much you can so. say she's there yeah. and she disappears so cool yeah well then i guess we shall move on okay and where would you like to begin we're moving on we're moving on to buffy so i want to begin kind of similarly before we go through all the characters in order um i want to talk about sort of the situation of the episode overall um, so, you know, the wish in the title kind of, I, I, I couldn't say I knew going in what the story was going to be, but the title kind of tells you right away that we're in, you know, a, a what if scenario that this is sort of mm. yeah an, an alternate reality, but a specific kind of alternate. Re- it's not like mm. a random alternate reality, bizarro land, it, or even though Cordy calls it bizarro land, it's not a kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, black is white, up is down, alternate reality. It's just, it's based on the idea of what if this changed? And then watching the domino effect Mm -hmm. of everything else sort of changing, you know, uh, the ripple effect of that. Um, Yeah. So we get, you know, a a Buffy-less Sunnydale. Um, Interesting that it's not a Buffy-less world. It's just a Buffy-less Sunnydale right. that she's in Chicago or something. Right. <laughs> so, and she's still a vampire slayer, mm-hmm. um, just not here. There's um, so you kind of see apparently a lot the of devastating demonic activity in Cleveland is, is where in it is. Cleveland. That's what it was. Cleveland. Yeah. Which, you know, um, okay. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, all of this is, you know, deserted streets, humans being hunted, um, Everyone in dull clothes, because mm-hmm. apparently vampires are attracted to bright, shiny things, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, the first thing I really wanted to talk about 
was Cordy related. So do you have any other general alternate reality stuff that we should go over first before we get into Yeah, I, so I would say a couple of things. Is One is, you know, alternate realities are kind of fun. And there's actually um, uh, an, an article in, in Slade's journal about, um, with that sort of title, you know, regarding this, uh, episode as well as some other things, which I don't want to get into for spoilery reasons, but, um, the, Uh the title of the paper is actually, where's the fun, the comic apocalypse and the wish. And, and, and talking about that whole, like you were saying, like, it's this domino effect of, you know, what if scenario and not only what if scenario, but someone actually saying, you know, I wish this were the case. I wish that something. And, um, so David Kosamba, who wrote that, um, paper says uh, this episode's an insider's game and we kind of feel privileged that we get to watch the ultimate insiders, the authors of the series. Um, and actually the, the writer for this episode is Marty Noxon, um, who we've already talked about her provenance and, and kind of, uh, yeah. you know, and David Greenwalt is the director. So, I mean, we've kind of got a one, two mm. punch if we're talking, you yeah. know, uh, sort of mythological right. the, the and, and, doing it. Yeah. and importance here. Um, and, and, and so Kosiamba is saying, you know, uh, we get to watch these insiders, um, and sort of to see and play with, um, you know, the ideas that, that we've been, building for the last two plus seasons. Um, but then that there's also this sort of nihilism that comes with this. Right. And, and so I, um, you know, I sort of see one of the aspects of this episode as sort of like Whedon's like taking a sword to all his characters, you know, and just like, <laughs> cause literally all of them die except for Giles. You know, yeah. I mean, we see Buffy, we see Xander, we see, does Willow actually die in this yeah. one? Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, Oz, Oz, Oz does, her. Right, right. Oz yeah. dies, you know, um, Cordy dies. She's the first one to go. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. so, like, all of the main characters that we know and love get wasted except for except yeah. for Giles. Um, and and yeah. so, like, what do you do with that? Do you say, well, this is just sort of a, you know uh it, you know them just having fun with being able to kill off all these characters because we know that's mm-hmm. what Whedon likes to do is kill off characters you love and <laughs> now he's done that but also kind of gets to keep them at the same time or right. or is there something deeper to that and and I think one of the places where Kosiemba gets to is that um it's actually you know in this sort of nihilistic view because it's a very dark episode. Like if you take out, if oh, you yeah. take out the framing of, you know, mm-hmm. Cordy and the wish itself, like within the, the other world, it's, it's very dark and very despairing. And, yeah. and that's why it's so meaningful when you get to Giles saying, I have to believe in a better world because there's yeah. nothing redeeming about this world. And, and what Kosiemba says is that the wish, what it does is that it reveals that, playfulness and and all of the things that we've been used to seeing are actually central values and it does that by eliminating them like it it yeah. you know you you sort of get this um you know uh, uh like an inverse effect of by making it so dark and there are there isn't 
wit or you know punning and all of this kind of stuff i mean there's a few like snide remarks but they're sarcastic you do think of buffy it's buffy they're not just missing her slang skills they're also missing her ability to right right right. and the and the lightness that she brings to it and all of them that bring yeah exactly and yeah there's a there's a lack of kind of buffy speak in this episode right and and so he said and and he talks quite a bit about Buffy speak in the paper. Um, and I'll tell you when you're allowed to read it, but not yet. Um, <laughs> but he says that the more that this episode follows its own sort of logic, uh, the more it resembles like, uh, you know, an alternate history rather than an actual alternate dimension. Um, mm. And and he talks about sort of like the way that like, you know, fans and, and watchers of the show sort of build a consensus of how the Buffy verse looks and how it just sort of creates this, this tension. And, and there's sort of a meta element to, to the paper talking about like the fandom and, and, you know, you always get sort of people saying, well, I wish this happened or I wish that happened or whatever. And so this mm-hmm. is in a way sort of like a meta response to that of, of, well, you know, okay, yeah. what if, Buffy wasn't Buffy or what if, you know, something else happened. And, and obviously there's many ways you could do that, but, but he talks about how, how then you come to realize that actually now we miss the way things have been created. And so that consensus, that, that history, even though it's fictional, he says um, the consensus reality is worth fighting for because now we know, we painfully know how much we've invested in it and the characters are now more than fictions, even though they remain fictional. So, you know, it just kind of gives you this opportunity to see how much these characters have actually become part of, you know, what you identify with, um, you know, just in two, you know, well, like, a season and a half really, you know, a little more than that because the yeah. first season was, was a truncated one. So I just yeah. thought that was all yeah. very interesting just sort of to give, mm-hmm. you know, cause you can kind of look at it as a one-off because in the action of like, of what happens in Sunnydale, you know, the show actually, this episode takes place in the space of like a few seconds, you know, if you right. talk about right. Cordy's wish, you know, and what happens in between it. Um, so, you know, it, I, I do think there is some, some interesting stuff there. Um, yeah. And it, it, what it makes me think of is that we've talked, because of the history with Doctor Who, we've talked about this idea of the writers writing their own sort of fan fiction in a mm-hmm. way. That, but we haven't talked that as much about Buffy because it's all original property. It's, it's, it's Joss creating mm-hmm. the story that he's writing. But they're kind of doing that here. Like, isn't that kind of what a lot of people do is take their favorite story take their favorite characters and then write what if scenarios and screw with it and say you know take a story you know well and say okay well what if these characters did never meet or what if this character got killed off or what if whatever you know fill in the blank and that's an exercise in creative writing basically Mm -hmm. so they're kind of doing that to their own story here yeah yeah um and even though it is, even though it does take place in the space of a second, it does have real weight in the same sense that fiction does or that story does, you mm-hmm. know, that it, it mm-hmm. doesn't happen in real time, but it has real impact on sort of our sure. imaginative. We know more about the world, even if Cordy and Buffy don't remember this and don't necessarily learn from it. We do. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so we have more to bring to the table, like as the reader or the watcher, you know, right. so. Right. Yep. Um, but it's all, it's all theoretical. It's all imaginative, you know, it's right. not, it's not what happens in the literal world. It's what happens in sort of the, the fictional realm, I mm -hmm. guess. Right, right, exactly. And, and yeah. So, well, let's talk about what happens in that fictional realm. <laughs> okay. Um, you well, wanted to start with Cordy. I have more kind of alternate universe stuff to say about Cordy. But first, let's talk about Anya. Um, oh, okay. She's really the catalyst for yes. all this. Um, right. She just sort of appears out of the blue, doesn't she? She does. So she's a new friend of Harmony's. Um, and But doesn't really seem like the Harmony type. She seems a little not quite totally comfortable with hanging out with that crowd um and seems to kind of single out cordy mm -hmm. um so uh which we could maybe infer some reasons for why that is but it turns out that she's not an ordinary you know high school girl but she's a demon i guess do we ever really find out exactly what she is uh she's a yeah. demon i mean giles okay Right. She she's a demon, but we've talked before about how that term can be a little slippery. Is it, so is a slippery um, term. Okay. Well, I think it's interesting that Cordy identifies her as a fairy. A scary, veiny, good fairy. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who so it kind of again fits in the sort of I wish fairy tale mode of, you know, granting wishes right, and stuff right. that she's kind of a fairy tale monster. Well, you know? and, and historic, so if we're thinking fairies and elves, I mean, mm. I know, you know, <laughs> you know, that they're not always nice people, <laughs> right? No, uh, you know, no, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they can be scary and I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. veiny, but, um, <laughs> you know, they, there's definitely that sort of idea of, you know, yeah. this is, a supernatural being of some kind. I I'm trying to find, um, I thought I had written down, you know, but Giles does, you know, look up on Yanka and, and talks about her being sort of like, I think he calls her like the patron saint of women scorned. So he says, says some, and I didn't notice that. Um, I think it's when he's summoning her, he summons her in the name of women scorned. So that I did pick up on mm -hmm. that because then my question was just that, that is she associated? Does she have a particular, does she seek out scorned women? And is that why she sort of targets Cordy is because yes. she senses that she has been dumped and might have some wishes she might want to careful or casually toss out. Well, and that's know? exactly it. Right. And, and so Bizarro Giles says, she's the patron saint of scorned women and that she grants wishes. Um, mm. and, and so actually if you, if you carefully listen to Anya's, all of her lines, she says probably a half a dozen times, don't you wish, or, you yeah, know, yeah, like, like some yeah. variation of that. Well, don't you just wish he mm -hmm. would, you know, yeah. and she's trying to prompt, Cordy into wishing something and yeah. and and I mean it's very subtle um and I think we get it mm -hmm. uh or we're meant to sort of realize something's happening um when Cordy says you know I don't wish I act 
which is, you know, kind yeah. of that line of, and, and, yeah. but yeah, that's, this is Anya trying to get Cordy to take some sort of vengeance. Um, and mm. it's interesting that the vengeance she takes is not on Xander because that's what, <laughs> right. like, <laughs> if you look at, you know, all the stuff that Anya's doing is, is this woman scorned perspective. It's, it's, well, you know, Xander's such a, you know, low life or, you know, what did he do to right. you? Don't you just wish he would, you know, whatever. So like, yeah. like it's, she's trying to direct Cordy's hatred towards Xander. And it's funny that Cordy doesn't. She doesn't. Yeah. She directs it towards Buffy. Um, yeah. And sees. She, she, she knows that the roots go deeper. It's not just because she never would have had this relationship with Xander. Right. If her circle hadn't expanded to include this misfit group of friends. Mm-hmm. So really Which it that's never the would have if Buffy hadn't been along, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. It makes sense from a Cordy point of view. Yeah. Well, and that's funny because once again we get Cordy so self-focused. You know, yeah. why does this always happen to me? But you know what? She's yeah. kind of right again. <laughs> like we've she talked is, about yeah. how she complains about, you know, things always happening to her, but things do always happen to her. Why am I the one sure. who gets impaled? Why do I get bitten by snakes? Why do I fall for incredible losers? Well, all right, that's her fault. But, you know, <laughs> like there's yeah. There's this sense that like like it's easy to just sort of dismiss the privileged, you know, person of you know the the whole yeah. the the white wine hashtag right you know it's like the 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 and and that's wine with the w h i n e you know it's yes. it's it's easy to sort of dismiss that but in cordy's case things do seem to happen to her an awful lot um yeah no and especially what she's been through lately i'm totally on her side right, you know right <laughs> and actually i mean Okay, so I have a ton of stuff to say about Corey. Okay, so we should probably finish with Anya. Yeah. So what what else did you want to say, or did you have questions about for Anya? So the other main question I had was, in the end, Mm -hmm. I believe what Giles says is that once the necklace is broken, her power is taken away. um, Her her wishes are reversed, and she's uh, she's mortal Mm -hmm. and powerless again. So I guess my question is. Um, is that a, is that a permanent thing? I I know we will meet the character again mm-hmm. at some point. So, um, is this, are we meant to understand that, uh, she can't just go out and make a new necklace, right? That, that she's really lost her powers at this point. Right. Um, and, and so she, um, when Cordy first notices her necklace and asks, oh, is that whatever? Uh, yeah. she says, oh, this is an actual old thing. My father my dad gave it to me or something right. like that. So, um, right. The implication is that this is, I mean, it's old, so it's, you know, yeah. something with power, something, you know, that, that was given to her. So she can't, right. She doesn't have the power in and of herself. It's not, this mm-hmm. isn't like inherent, you know, demon risen from hell kind of thing. This she's, she was invested with this, power and now it's broken and yeah now she's mortal and and we see you know several times she tries to you know done it's done and she's impotent at that point to to really make the changes that cordy seems to take delight in i wish you know this and that and the other thing so um 
it. Yeah, no, definitely. Like that, that seems to me to be pretty clear at this point. We're meant to take that. She's lost her power. She's become mortal. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and that Giles, and, and we get, I, I love Giles's little moment of, oh, my, my watcher, uh, you know, muscles seem not to have atrophied, you know, like, like, <laughs> I think that's sort of a hint to say, like, we're supposed to be taking what he's telling us as, as truth, like as fact at that point. So, yeah. and that's where we, you know, learn that stuff about when her power center, which is her necklace, um, gets destroyed. It, it, it makes her mortal yeah. at this point. So now she's basically effectively, yeah, a teenage girl at a high school, whatever she may yeah. have been before we don't know um yeah. and and we will see her character again so i don't want to give away too much more than just that but. yeah no i'll be interested to see more about her where she goes and i'm sure we'll learn more about her backstory and everything too mm -hmm. i assume so i'm looking forward to that oh. um but yes let's move on to cordy because i okay i i guess i inadvertently misled you in saying that uh this was sort of a cordy focused episode mm -hmm. so you you well, you may have so some here's other things what I to think, say about that. well so here's what i think is interesting though i think this episode is designed to make you think that and then it subverts it um because so I, what's kind of interesting okay so it starts with uh Cordy, you know, burning, cutting up pictures of Xander and burning them, right? So you kind of get this idea of, you know, of the vengeance, you mm -hmm. know, and the anger, but also potentially, you know, we know she has affiliates with magic. So, you know, it, it kind of looks a little bit ritualistic yeah. to be sort of, you know, burning the boyfriend's stuff as a kind of a ritual mm -hmm. thing. Very and then bad. we get uh, the mention, the very, very, very subtle little mention from Willow that Amy saw her at the mall, you know, and Amy said she looked whatever. And so the little hint of Amy there, I started thinking, my wheels start going, and I go, ooh, she's talking to Amy. She's going to, you know, we're about to see some revenge potions mm. of Bruin or something. Um you know, she gets there, and then, like you said, with Anya, pretty, after not too long, you kind of get the idea that there's more going on with Anya than you originally thought, and she isn't making all those promptings of, don't you wish, don't you wish, which Cordy studiously ignores, <laughs> like, for the most, like, she's not interested in wishing. Right. She's not, she's not about, as much as she whines, she's not about sitting around and feeling sorry for herself. She's... She acts. She's dressed up, and she's going to go out and try to do some damage control. Mm -hmm. And it's not until she gets completely humiliated and frustrated that she finally indulges in a little bit of wishful thinking, which is, I wish Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. Right. You know, which launches us into this whole alternate universe. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a story. It seems to me in a kind of typical or even stereotypical story like this. This is going to be a story where gradually over the course of the episode, Cordy comes to have a revelation about, oh, how wrong she was, that she wished that Buffy wasn't here. And the culminating moment is going to be, gosh darn it, 
Buffy actually is important and I'm sorry and she's going to have to reverse it. That and is not at all what we get. Cordy realizes about five minutes in that this is horrible, yeah. that this was a terrible mistake. You know, she, it's no big moral revelation. She just sort of realizes, actually, this is, you know, the worst thing which could have happened. She pretty much acknowledges that without any, you know, ego involved. Mm. Um, immediately goes to Giles, enlists his help. And then gets killed two minutes later, and that's it. And the plot gets handed off to everybody else. So I kind of like that, because I think it kind of sets you up for this Cordy-centric moral revelation that doesn't really go anywhere. Cordy was kind of there already. Like, I feel like all of that, you know, the stuff that she says about, you know, I wish Buffy had never come here, is only because she's so frustrated. Mm -hmm. You know, and Anya's bugging her to kind of say these things out loud. And she does indulge in some wishful thinking like we all do. Yeah. And it just kind of happened that there happened to be a demon there who made it come true. And immediately she realizes that it was a mistake. It's not actually a lesson that she really right. needs to learn all that much. So, you know, and then in the end you kind of get, again... The, the going back when it switches back, you know, well, I wish that, you know, Willow wakes up with boils and I wish that Xander never did. You know, like she, she's just, she's just venting, mm -hmm. you know, she's just venting her frustration. Like the, the episode wasn't at all about Corey's, Cordy's, you know, moral revelation about anything. It was just, she needed to vent. And it's almost like this is an extended, like, like completely unintended, but like cathartic venting mm. of like bad stuff happening because <laughs> she was angry. And then it pretty much gets erased by the right. end. So I don't know. That's my reading for why this isn't actually Cordy centric. Um, Cause I think it becomes about bigger things in the end. Like the things you talked about, like it's not just about Cordy. It's about the whole network of characters and how they're all, interacting and important and how they all sort of rely on each other and all the personalities of, as we've come to know them are important. So yeah, make of that what you will. That was my reading. I guess the only thing that I'll say to that, and I'll just say it as quickly as I can, is just that, <laughs> um, you know, that includes Cordy and now mm -hmm. Cordy is not part of the group. And so no, and I don't mean to say that she's unimportant. I just meant that she's not the sole focus in the way no, I, that I, know, I thought she would be in the first couple minutes. Sure, sure. And I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously watching a new episode of anything, you know, for the first time isn't necessarily going to be the way you think it's going to be, obviously. So, yeah, um, I guess, I guess what yeah, I, no, and I think it was a good, what I, I meant by Cordy centric out, was, was that it explores the fallout of her being hurt both emotionally from having seen Xander and Willow, but also physically and coming back and, and, and the things that, you know, and, and how that affects her. Um, but also, I mean, how then she in, in, so, you know, you talk about like this whole, the whole thing gets erased, but until that moment where, Bizarro Giles, you know, destroys the power center of the necklace. 
all kind of weird stuff to say. But, uh, you know, until that moment, actually, all of that darkness in that dark world and everything is Cordy's cause. So even mm-hmm. even if even though Cordy does die, you know, relatively yeah. quickly into this sort of second storyline that we're in, you know, everything that's happened up to that point is, is fallout from all of those other things, you know, that are. Yeah, no. And I definitely agree with that, that as much as Anya is the catalyst, Cordy is too, that it's definitely consequence of her action, which is again, consequence of what happened to her the week before. Um, So, so, Oh no, I totally agree with so, that. So so and and I and yes, there are other bigger things sort of, you know, to talk about too, but I don't I think um I think that's at least what I, I was thinking of when I said that this is Cordy centric. So, you know, what hey, maybe our listeners have varying opinions one way or the other. So we'd love to hear what do you guys yeah. think? You know, is is it Cordy centric? Is it not Cordy centric? Is it both Cordy centric and not Cordy centric at the same time because who knows maybe that's an option. Um, Is such a thing possible? In, but yeah, no, you're not expecting her to like within a few minutes of stepping within Bizarro Sunnydale School to say, "Oh, actually, Buffy." As much as I hate to admit it, did some pretty good stuff while she was here. So maybe maybe we need her back. Um, yeah, no, but both that, like the quickness of her realizing of that and the quickness with which she gets killed totally surprised me because, like I said, I was totally set for an episode where the climax was about Cordy realizing those things, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, the fact that that is a, one of those kind of Joss Whedon gut punches, you know, sneak attack out of nowhere kind yeah. of thing, you know, that, that that's the character you're expecting to take the emotional journey mm-hmm. with. Um, and that's not at all how it plays out. So I think that's a pretty, I really like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not disappointed that it doesn't go further with her. I think that actually, um, is really effective because then we get to sort of, it, it just brings home. I think that's the part that really shows you how bad this world is that like, it doesn't bother to stay with what seems to be the main character to see how she turns out. It just kills her off. Hmm. You know, it's kind of like killing off Vivian Lee in the beginning of Psycho. And you're like, well, I thought she was the main character. Where's the story going to go from mm. here? You know, it kind of lets you know, or it doesn't let you know. It refuses to let you know where the story's going. Um, yeah. So it's it's was really good. Yeah. Um, although not good to see Cordy get killed. No, no. Um so just you know on i guess before we move on to other characters real quick though just uh, her her whole dynamic is all screwed up now at school right i just um her uh obviously it, it, you know it's kind of a similar thing right so she comes back to school and and at first you think oh you know harmony and co are going to kind of mm. take her back into their click and yeah. then you find out they're just mocking her like not even yeah. just mocking her but like viciously you know making fun of her and and yeah um that scene where she leads him over to jonathan sitting on to the, on the stairs with his like big gulp you know his big and, gulp. Uh, yeah. Yeah. which is kind of a funny thing because 
we've seen Cordy and Jonathan, you know, together before right. when uh when she was like, oh, younger men. It's got to got to be younger men all the right, way. Right, right. He she like got him to like get coffee for Yeah, yeah. Stuff, I right? mean, I don't know. Yeah if they were ever like dating or whatever, but it's like, no, no, but they've been linked. Yeah. Before. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. we have seen that, but it's, you know, it's kind of a, but you get that sense of, you know, the joking there and, and just that, like, it's like now she's completely on her own. Um, mm-hmm. you know, except for Anya who comes along, you know, yeah. and, and is now apparently willing to be her friend, but like, it's, yeah, this, this whole, idea of just like she you know was this great thing and then she was like or or great thing i mean she was she was at least you know very popular and very well liked you know by Mm -hmm. all these people and then like you know it's like oh she broke away from them but it was because she was empowered you know like she was doing it on her own and now she's just gotten to that point She's still wounded. She talks about having pulled her stitches. You know, she talks about, you know, we see her getting pushed into a pile of garbage. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. just everything that could possibly go wrong with her. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and you get to, I kind of had that, you just reminded me of that, that she, so she's by kind of going with the Scoobies, she's kind of ruined her, you know, popularity with the popular crowd that like you said like it seems like they're gonna take her back but then they don't um and then she's understandably not comfortable hanging out with the scoobies so she is sort of alone and both things have been ruined by what happened and and similarly with willow i got the same kind of feeling with willow and xander because they can't move forward as a couple because they both want to make it up to their previous couples but they can't go back you know xander kind of tries to touch willow just as a friend sort of affectionately and willow slaps him off like we can't do that anymore yeah so you get the sense of not only has the romance been ruined but the old friendship has been lost as well that you there's not that i mean they're still friends but there's something which was but i think even even that's different because at least when buffy's around it's the three of them, just like it yeah, was no, way back and, in and the beginning. You Cordy, know what I mean? Cordy definitely has it the worst. I'm yeah. not, I'm not disputing that. But I think my point would be that the betrayal, which you know, what it made me think wasn't like I'm not saying that, you know, putting, you know, saying that Xander and Willow are at all going through what Cordy is. I mean, I think clearly she is the wronged party and definitely has it the worst. But what I think is that the whole kind of betrayal of the group, you know, which like we talked about Willow and Xander, they're throwing the whole group out of alignment. Mm -hmm. Like they haven't just done, you know, a wrong thing to their partners, but they've sort of betrayed the integrity of the whole group. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense of things that have been lost, you know, and not to say that Willow and Xander aren't friends, but there's a kind of friendship that they don't have anymore or can't have now. So not only have they potentially ruined their actual relationships and any future relationship they might have had, now they've almost even spoiled the relationship they used to have before. You know, so there's this kind of, you know, that just made me think of that. Like, Willow and Xander can't move forward 
but they can't really go back, and neither yeah. can Cordy, you know? No, and, and, and everyone's sort of stuck where they are and, now. And there was always a sort of innocence, even when Willow was kind of pining for Xander, there was always sort of an innocence to it um, that definitely yeah, doesn't yeah. exist. So I, I understand what you're saying. I guess it it's kind of weird, though, because even despite that, yeah, they, they still, like you see in the beginning, you know, them with Buffy fighting that weird Cthulhu sort of looking, yeah, you know, yeah. thing. No, they and, still, they you know, they're still, still together. The three of them, right? Yep. And it's still the yep. three of them. And when they're at the bronze, it's only when Buffy leaves that things kind of become awkward between Xander awkward, and yeah. Willow together. So, yeah. and yeah. and even when um, they're kind of out in the courtyard, there, you know, they're they're kind of sitting together talking and kind of laughing a little bit. You know, they're kind of still buddy buddy. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't think you're wrong. I just I would point to that and just say like yeah, like definitely Cordy is is hurting quite a bit here. Um, yeah, and, no, and she's getting it. She's getting it piled on pretty thick. This there's week. there's not a lot uh, you know of options for her. So um, I guess having talked about all of them sort of in this world, and and we sort of talked about Cordy in the Bizarro world. Um, maybe we can talk about Vamp Willow and Vamp Xander and <laughs> and Bizarro Oz and Giles and all of them. Um, yeah, and Buffy. Um, it's 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 interesting about them because I don't know how much to read into. I mean, like you, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording that all of the normal demon lieutenants that you expect aren't there like there's no darla you know or no colin, <laughs> colin or, you know, or whatever luke or or luke um, or even jesse, or jesse. so yeah. um so you know we could speculate about where they are you know i don't know where if that would take us anywhere but it is interesting that willow and xander are in their place you know and it you have to wonder because this is meant to be what would literally have happened if these details had been changed. Mm. So, and we've talked in the past about vampires being at least partially responsible for becoming vampires because there's that element of mm. choice involved. So how much are we meant to read into the fact, you know, I'm, I'm not arguing that Willow and Xander are secretly villains and are evil or anything, but I think that's kind of interesting that in one potential version of this story, they went over to the bad guy side and are seemingly doing pretty well that they're high up and are, mm. you know, among the high lieutenants and they're under together. the master and everything. And they have, and it's, and together, that's a point too, is that, you know, I, lo I love Cordy's exasperation. <laughs> yeah, you're still together. Yeah. You guys are still together, I, even in Bizarro Land. I wish us into Bizarro Land. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and our pretty, pretty malicious versions mm. too. I mean, they don't have even Spike's kind of opportunistic attitude. They seem pretty determinedly evil. Mm. You know, Willow actually reminded me a lot of Drusilla. Um, you know, with the kind of uh. A little less Sadist, crazy, the, the, a little more A little less crazy, a little more deliberate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a more deliberate, but with all the kind of 
sadistic tendencies mm -hmm. and you know and the kind of she was more kind of sexed up than drusilla but with that same kind of like um you know kind of girliness to mm -hmm. her like that went against like while she's torturing you she's also being as feminine and pouty mm -hmm. as she can be in everything so that kind of all reminded me of a yeah and it's interesting so what does that say about willow that that does that mean that she has things in common with Drusilla? Well, I, you know, which is kind of interesting. I was sort of so we've talked we talked about um, Billy Piper when when she gets to play Cassandra, yeah, yeah. like the differences and and sort of the way that you know she plays the two different characters and and the sort of the sexualization of you know her her character <laughs> as Cassandra. Mm -hmm. I would equate that in some degree you know with with willow here you know we get yeah a far cry from normal willow um you oh know, yeah yeah we get vamp willow and i think i think yeah all all the things you hit are the things that i think are you know explicit and and i think are what exactly what we're meant to be thinking about that yes there are some pretty clear uh parallels to drusilla um especially sort of the sexualization uh, side of things yeah drusilla is still maybe a little more victorian in her dress <laughs> um yeah and i guess that's the real, only real difference uh, is the kind of clothes that they're wearing but they play it very similarly mm -hmm. but yeah i mean we get you know willow straddling angel you know as she's about to torture him yeah, yeah. that very sadistic sort of thing and and the um you know just the uh, yeah just even like the way she walks and the way she's you know talks and and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so um yeah i very much uh very very interesting sort of change there um and and i and i would say willow's probably you know allison hannigan does a great job of, of of sort of making that and and hers is probably the most dramatic of the character changes that yeah. we sort of see between the two worlds um yeah i would just point to xander a couple of things too though um one, he still hates Angel. He does. <laughs> so yeah. like, <laughs> no, I noticed that, but he still he makes sure that Angel gets dusted at the end. Yeah, it, well, and it's <laughs> yeah. just like, yeah, that is never going to change. So, um, yeah, in any reality, Xander hates Angel. Interesting yeah. that he calls Cordelia an old crush, because it's right. not until Cordelia is part of the Scoobies that, and and you know, there's all of their dislike for each other that leads up to that moment where they kiss so right you have to sort of wonder about that like oh was there was that something all along you know did he mm -hmm. have a, a crush even in in this world you know in in the in this world in the normal buffy world um right right so yeah i don't know um and and yeah. also you know just one other thing is that Xander tends to be the run into everything guy, right? But uh -huh. here we see him as a vampire. He's a little more standoffish. No, I'll just stand yeah. back here and watch, right? Like yeah. that sort of thing. And and he doesn't he doesn't seem to be he um Willow's the one who has right the like the voracious appetite. We even get that moment where he's like, you know, this was supposed to be my kill. Like you know, yeah. but he's kind of letting her be the one to take, uh, you know, the kills and be the one to go out and do 
whatever in it. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. Make of that. What you, I'm, what you I'm will. having speculations about body mind duality and whether that indicates that things are wrong, that it's an inversion, that this mm. is, isn't how it's supposed it could to be. be, that Willow shouldn't be the one with the, with the voracious appetite. Xander shouldn't be the one coolly hanging back, that, that that's an indication that they're not in their proper places or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I hadn't, interesting. Really thought... I hadn't really picked up on that, but I kind of like that. I idea. hadn't thought of that in sort of the, the whole soul triptych sort of thing, but yeah, it could, could be something to it. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so we get Willow and Xander. So we get Willow and Xander as sort of the, the bad, you know, the vampire, whatever yeah. it is. And then we get the white hats. They're not the Scoobies. Well, and, and oh, sorry, go ahead. one thing real quick that Willow and Xander kill Cordy. So again, you get the pair of them betraying her, you know, and yeah, in a weird sort of so, sexualized threesome blood sucking that like weird. <laughs> yeah. That like weird menage a trois kind of, yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a little weird, but anyway. so, uh, um, <laughs> right. So then we get the white hats. They're not, they're not the Scoobies. Well, that's what the vampires right. call them anyway. Right. The white hats right. there. Um, and we get, <laughs> interestingly, we get, the people that you think of as like genuinely good, right? We get Giles and Oz yeah. and Larry, um, which is kind of just weird because he he doesn't yeah. have anything to do with the Scoobies or anything in the other world. And then we get this no. unnamed young woman um, who dies pretty quickly. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, Giles and Oz aren't that different. But I don't know. What do, what do you see there to talk about? And yeah, I, I mean, they don't seem to be, I mean, they don't seem to be different in the sense that Willow and Xander are different. Mm-hmm. They're not totally transformed. It's more just a difference of circumstance that they seem to be the same old good guys. It's just that because they're living in this really sort of hellish reality, mm-hmm. they're very stressed in a way that they're not normally you know that they're they're kind of desperate and you know giles sort of doesn't have a slayer so he's sort of neglected his watcher duties even though he well i don't want to say neglected it's just that he hasn't had use for them it's more just been about damage control and saving people you know that he hasn't it, you don't get the sense that he's doing a whole lot of research it's more just surviving sort of day to day um and and Oz same thing I mean he doesn't seem to be different in any fundamental way more that he's you know kind of doing what he would be doing in this situation which is fighting on the right side yeah. so I, the only um, thing I saw with that I sort of see with Oz is he's I mean because he's always sort of got that little like sly remark you know not quite sarcastic but like he seems a little more caustic here right like his comment about cordy um Mm. you know oh well oh what was it like you know i i hope she didn't wish for you know a long life you know like that kind. it's like like it's the kind of thing oz might say but has a slightly different quality to it, a slightly different, you know, slightly more cynical quality to mm-hmm. it than the yeah. sort of the normal 
Oz would have. It seems that to me anyway, yeah. that's how I take that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. And you talked about the lack of humor, you know, right. so Oz isn't getting to be as funny as he normally would just right. because this is a completely or, you know, bleak, unhumorous situation. Right. Yeah. And, and we're not seeing the sort of the cute little compliments he gives Willow or vice versa. Right. right. You know, I mean, it's, and, and I don't even know, I don't even know if he's a werewolf in this bizarro world or not. Like, did he ever get bit or not? You know, like there's, there's no know. indication one way or the other. So it, no, you know, equally know. plausible, I guess. Um, he, he does, he does dust Willow in the end though. So again, you get these really significant, mm. even though the characters don't know how significant they are, right? you know, who they kill is significant for, the real world Buffy, right. you know, and and Angel calling out Buffy. Yeah, know. yeah, again, right, again, right. yeah, uh, dying with her name on on his lips. Yeah. Um. So so yeah so you know um. So Giles, yeah, his his uh. His leadership. I mean, he still you know he still has this band, and he still seems to be the leader. Of the mm. group, um, but yeah, he's watcherless, and and not just or watcherless, slayerless, I guess, and and not just that, like his slayer is gone, but he doesn't have a slayer at all. Like someone yeah. else, there's a different person who is Buffy's watcher. It seems, yeah, um, yeah, which is interesting. Like, well, because I assume if if she never died when the master killed her and came back, that. Presumably, Kendra was never activated. So, in theory, there may only be one Slayer at this point. Right, and um, probably. And if she's and if she's gone to to Cleveland, then there's nobody here to fight in Sunnydale. Right. Right, and and right, but why would that necessarily mean that Giles isn't her watcher? Like, why did he not go to Cleveland? You know, and that's the thing. It's like, did right. he resign because he saw this? what was going on in Sunnydale, you know? Well, it, 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 it begs the question of why Buffy never came to Sunnydale, which we never find we out. Don't. Um, you know, we don't because know. Because Cordy wished it. Well, because Cordy wished it. Yes. Yes. That is literally the case, but we don't know Buffy's rationale for not coming. Right. So did she, you know, was, it, it could be any number of things, you know? And, and so maybe she's, it doesn't seem like she's ever even met Giles, really. No. Um, yeah, no. So, or you know, Angel maybe. Or whoever. Yeah. You know what? So, sorry. Yeah, I don't know how watchers work. You know, are they? Because in the movie and in the scene we got in Becoming, mm -hmm. which was sort of a little mini version of the movie, right, right. Buffy had a different watcher. Mm -hmm. So it makes me question: Are watchers sort of? tied to place in a certain way like if you move cities well in does your watcher move with you you know maybe giles right. can't go to cleveland with buffy maybe he has to stay here so canonically buffy's watcher like in that in in the movie but donald yeah. sutherland dies <laughs> does he it's been um, so long since i and, saw it and okay. the same and that's Broadly speaking, that part of the story is also true. So, like, you know, okay. the watcher that Buffy has in L.A. 
you know, dies Died. and okay. then Buffy moves to Sunnydale. And that's why, because okay. Giles is the new librarian, right? At the beginning of season one, he's, he just yes. moved there to, because yes. he knew Buffy was going there and whatever. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing is like Buffy's mom moves her to Sunnydale. So who knows? Maybe it's as simple as her parents never split up, you mm. know, something right. like that. Like, we don't I, we don't know what the yeah what we the don't know is, but, yeah yeah but it doesn't necessarily have to be an incredibly complex one it's just yeah something happens and and we don't even know why Giles isn't her watcher if it may be that he's not a maybe maybe he resigned so maybe he was supposed to go to Cleveland or to wherever right. Buffy was at the time and and he never did because he saw you know because he came to Sunnydale Buffy never showed up but he saw how bad it was and decided to stay or so that would be yeah. i keep pressing that that's sort of my preferred explanation but i don't have any particular reason for why <laughs> you know yeah. that's better than any other so um right it seems but I, I i do think it's an interesting sort of thought experiment to just sort of you know wonder about those things of of mm -hmm. we really we really don't know but clearly it's a bad thing but but i do like that we still get you know same old Giles. Like Giles, if if Willow's the one who changes the most, Giles changes least, I would say, yeah. you know, of, of yeah. the main characters. Because he's still, you know, the tweed librarian who has, you know, mm -hmm. axes in his safe room. You know, like... <laughs> yeah. Like... Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing that we get to with Giles, of course, is that that great moment of you know, why do you trust? It's because I have to believe that there's a better world than this and not even that there's a better world, but that Buffy makes it a better world. And it's yeah. that we've talked about sort of, I, I like it because even though he doesn't know Buffy, even though he doesn't like, it's kind of couched in terms of there just, there has to be something better than this. Like we know that it's, it is a faith ultimately in Buffy. Right. And what she can do and, yeah. and whatever. And so we've talked about that sort of, um, you know, faith that he has in her before. And and it it's just sort of it yeah. as dire as it is to see all of these people dying mm. and everything like it is almost a catastrophic moment when he says that yeah. and is breaking the, you know, necklace. So. Yeah, no, I think so. And it and in the face of that bleakness, his hope isn't completely unfounded because as you say, even though he doesn't know Buffy very well, he knows enough to have, to take a leap of faith. And he doesn't know that the next world is going to be better, but he believes that it, that it is, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, is willing to, certainly willing to try breaking a necklace to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, clearly a move of desperation because you know yeah. that's all he has at that point but hey that's that's where he gets to so good for him and it's that it is that kind of thing it that is kind of you catastrophic where like you know for him it, just that one kind of small act of breaking a necklace mm -hmm. you know just as you're watching all the main characters get slaughtered right. you know has the kind of fairy tale resolution you know the unexpected i mean not unexpected in that we couldn't see it coming but like for the characters 
you know, as they're all dying, you know, salvation sort of comes out of nowhere because Giles listened to Cordelia and followed her instructions. You know, the sort of small, random little acts that lead to him saving the day, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, let's see. Who, did we talk about okay. all the main characters? I think we I need... Think... Uh, I think we need to do Buffy and Angel. I mean, unless we feel like we've covered them. Um... um. No, I think I, mean, I think the, I think we the, should talk about them, but I just want to say, well, okay, let's talk about let's talk about Angel real quick, and then let's talk about Buffy because um, I think we okay. can talk about Angel pretty quickly. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. So the puppy. So yes. <laughs> um. Uh. Go thoughts ahead. on thoughts <laughs> on the nickname there. I. I didn't have any. I feel like you do. So, so the only thing... Uh, I mean, other than just, like, a creepy nickname for Willow to use. The, um, the only thing that I would go back to is um, Angel, Angelus, kills Willow's fish. Remember? Um, and she says, <laughs> uh-huh. this is the yeah. only time that I've ever wished I didn't have a... Uh, that I ever... Oh, that I, I was ever glad I didn't have a puppy. was glad yeah. that I didn't have a puppy. That's the only right. thing that I've got. I don't know uh-huh. what to make of that. Maybe it's a direct reference or not. Um, and That's I think funny. there's a reference somewhere, um, like when they're like researching Angelus or something, to him like doing something like nailing a puppy to a wall or something. Isn't there a – I may not yeah. be re- remembering yeah, that exactly. Right. But uh, something along those lines. So, so okay. I sort of took that as like, yeah, like an inversion of mm. – Angelus kills Willow's fish and she's glad she didn't have a puppy. Now she has a puppy and it's yeah, Angel. Right. So. Right. Now he's, he's the sort of disposable play thing now, you know, mm-hmm. that that's kind of putting him in his place a bit. Like Willow is putting him in his place a bit, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, the interesting, one of the interesting things about Angel is, you know, of course he knows Buffy. He doesn't remember this other universe, but he knows her because we saw that he went and watched right. her and has seen her before and was waiting for her. And it was interesting lines in there about, I waited for you here. You never, I was supposed to help you. Kept hoping you might come. My destiny. So interesting use of the word destiny. I'm not sure, you know, we we kind of, bandied that about a bit with Buffy's role as the Slayer, you know? So it's kind of more fuel to add to that Mm -hmm. is the sense in which she is destined to do this. Although this, this story would kind of argue that she isn't because there are other potential. I, I mean, I guess we get, get into the whole, you know, discussion of what, destiny is you know does that mean that there's only one possible outcome or does it mean that it's you know that there's still an element of her having to choose it because this would seemingly suggest that things can go differently that there isn't only one inevitable destiny or fate for Buffy that you know if she makes a different decision she could completely change the course of everything you know or Cordy can Mm -hmm. or whoever so it kind of brings up the question of 
what constitutes destiny, right. you know? And if there are other possible futures, even if they are undone, does that still count as destiny? And what are we calling destiny and all those sorts of things? So, yeah. yeah. I don't have any answers to that. I just thought it was interesting that he and the angel identifies Buffy as his destiny. It's his destiny to help Buffy. Right. Um, well, which, because we again, know that, very that him and Whistler were working yeah. together to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about what about Buffy? What's your thoughts there? <laughs> um, I thought it was kind of interesting that she reminded me a little bit of Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the just you know certain things like her kind of toughness and practicality and serious kind of no nonsense. I mean, Faith is more sort of you know, wild and crazy and and wisecracking than Buffy. Buffy here is very serious, you know, but you still get that sense of kind of damaged, you know, cynical, not a lot of hope, you know, very determined in her slaying, but you don't get the sense that she takes any real pride in it. It's that she says, like, this is the only thing I'm good at, you know, and this is she talks about that this world is awful, but it's the one she has to live mm-hmm. in, you know? So you get that camp, kind, same kind of hopelessness, I think, with her that you that we've seen with Faith a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so going back to David Kosiemba, who wrote that paper, um, I just wanted to sort of read what he says about Buffy in this episode. Um, he says, Buffy is the mediating figure between Faith and Kendra, Um, and now incorporates the worst aspects of both. She fights like Kendra with few kicks, no creativity, ramrod straight posture, and marches stiffly through the dust of Xander's corpse. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And she's borrowed Faith's crass vulgarity without any of the sensuality and irreverence. Uh, She sniffs decanters of liquor and talks about people wanting to get into her pants. Um, Like Kendra, Buffy's there because she's been ordered to be there. Like Faith, she could care less as to why. Neither one Mm. plays well with others, and and now that's true of Buffy as well. Mm -hmm. She's not funny anymore or fun. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean... And that's a big point. Yeah. You know, that's a big point, I think. Yeah, and and he goes on to talk about, you know, once once we see her again after, you know, the necklace gets smashed and whatever, it's, it's back to you know, sort of the, the jarring, uh, you know, she's stylish yet also, you know, kicks ass kind of thing. Like in this episode, it's, it's the very, very much the commando look, right. The sort of paramilitary, she has combat Mm -hmm. boots and, and, you know, a a tank top, you know, like it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Her hair kind of braided back, very utilitarian. She's even got like a scar. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You get the idea that she's, rough and not necessarily a better fighter than the normal Buffy, but kind of more rough and tough, you know, that she's had more sort of hard knocks, I guess, Mm -hmm. than Buffy has had maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would just want to say one more thing kind of about her in relation to the master who we kind of gloss over the master. I don't, I don't know that we need to say a lot about him. You know, Mm -hmm. we just kind of get to see like how, you know, so he's risen right he the the yeah. he's been able to rise and and um 
you know, now he's sort of got this grand plan, this master plan, so to speak. And, uh, uh, but what, what I wanted to say is, so, you know, going all the way back to the prophecy of, Mm -hmm. you know, the master rising and Buffy being killed and it gets fulfilled. But, but what happens here is, you know, the, the sort of, device that we have in prophecy girl at the end of season one is you know to have xander is the one who is able to revive her right yeah but he can't do that one because he's a vampire but also because buffy kills him like in this episode so it's it's just a very you know again it's like that dark dire thing you know we talked about how Buffy needs her friends to succeed and, and, and she needs that team, um, you know, to work together in order to get there. And this is the outcome that everybody feared at, you know, back in season Mm. one, when, you know, things were coming up on, uh, you know, the masters supposed rise and stuff. This is the outcome that they all feared. And, and here it is, we get to see what would have happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. And then, and I kind of hadn't really thought about it that way that this really leads straight from the first episodes cuz the first ones are the introduction of the hellmouth and the harvest mm-hmm. and the idea that the master is trying to come out and take over and that's like literally the first story we see is yeah. Buffy stopping that. So here, you know, very logical that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So this is what everything looks like if, you know, if he succeeded yeah. doing that. So it really does like, you know, redo the story so far, you know, from day right. one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One, one other tidbit about the master. I love that he pushes vamp Xander in front of himself when Buffy uses her yeah. crossbow. Yeah. Of course, yeah. of, of course. course the crossbow comes out. Um, yeah. so no, <laughs> he's just like <laughs> moves them over. Uh, pretty funny. Yeah, no. And he would just, Grab the nearest guy and use him as a shield. Yeah, so. yeah. It doesn't matter who it was. It just happened yeah. to be him. So. But yeah. everything's better in the end. Or, well, I mean, at least back to normal. I don't, I yes. don't know. I guess Cordy's still feeling somewhat jaded. Although, I yeah, don't know. I hope she's feeling a little bit better now that she got to vent her... Well, feelings a little bit and i was gonna now, say like you said rather than <laughs> yeah she kind of she kind of does she kind of per- you know she has a good cathartic moment yeah um yeah. so i don't you know maybe we'll see but uh but i'm sure we haven't seen the last of her you know this isn't i mean i think it's the sort of I thing that things have sorry oh ahead. no 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 i was just gonna say it's the sort of thing that has repercussions of course i mean we and and you know we kind of glossed over Oz in the in the normal world, um, you know his mm. his response, you know, okay, right, that he just wants to. It's be kind of interesting right now, to see yeah. both him and Cordy working through their different, you know, ideas yeah. uh, or different feelings and and emotions and stuff. Um, and and he's very firm with Willow, right? He's like, yeah. you keep coming, trying to talk to me. I've told you what what I need and. Apparently, you know, it's just because you want to feel better and that's not my problem. <laughs> like, yeah, very, a very interesting sort of response and very. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah. see. We'll see where that all leads us. But um, I will just say that for our next 
episode, um, we didn't really talk about it, I don't think, uh, last week, but um, at the end of last week, there was a, uh, after the episode originally aired, there was actually a, a commercial that was released for a Buffy Christmas um, <laughs> that that is the episode that we'll be talking about next week, which is uh, actually titled Amends. Um, and it's the only, um, like, actual Christmas-themed Buffy show that we get. So mm-hmm. um, I know we get those every year with Doctor Who, less frequently with Buffy. So we'll, we'll, yeah, have, yeah. we'll have to enjoy it. But um, as one might expect, it's a little bit angel-focused. So the, <laughs> the Christmas episode okay. is. So um, no, but uh, that's what's coming up. And um, there's a... I guess I would just, um, oh, the other thing I was going to say is like with that whole, with that whole, uh, commercial, which we can actually throw up, uh, maybe we'll throw it up next week when we, when we post the episode for amends, but the, you know, to see the, um, little commercial is kind of funny, but, uh, Mm -hmm. the, there was a contest and, uh, basically whoever won the contest, um, it it was like a 1-800 collect thing. So, you know, every time you use 1-800 collect, (laughs) which, uh, apparently still exists, although I'm not sure how, how many people use it nowadays. Um, it it does exist. It does exist. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, it would like enter you every time you used it. So, um, who knows? There were tons of Buffy fans going around just using 1-800-COLLECT for no reason, I'm sure. Um, it was and, it was quite it was quite enjoyable to see a commercial with payphones, I have yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, brought, that brought me back. Um, but uh, but there was a winner, and and the winner got to actually do a walk-on part for a, a later episode in Season 3. So, um, okay. anyway, just kind of a fun little thing. But, yeah, th- th- this next episode was well-hyped. So, uh, and it's a good one. So just thought I'd, just thought I'd share that as a little preview. So, but we'll talk about all of that next week. So, right. See you then.